Welcome to episode 65 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Giver, a garage-born outdoors and apparel company. Please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com slash giver to learn more. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host today. I believe if you desire truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence, which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection Podcast. Today's guest is Steve Baker, the co-author of a newly released book, Get in the Game, which is based on Jack Stack's original book, The Great Game of Business. Steve will share with us how creating a culture of winning and teaching employees how to be business people saved 119 jobs, created enormous wealth for the players, grew a business to a $600 million holding company, all while being community leaders. As Steve says, the single most powerful thing in transforming lives is knowledge. Having Steve as a guest today is a real treat and honor. I'm currently introducing the great game of business to my businesses, and I hope that after you listen to Steve today, you will want to fold the great game of business concept into your organization. Steve, thank you for accepting my invitation to be a guest here on the Jackson Hole Connection. It's great to see you again and get into a little bit more of who you are. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine. I would like to say, Stefan, that it was great to have you in Springfield and uh, just to see you, you know, front and center in the workshop. I love it when people go to conferences and they literally are like, it's a rock concert. It's not church, you know, <laughs> a lot of people end up in the back row, you know, and they're kind of half engaged. And I really believe that you get out of stuff, what you put into it and you were putting it in, baby. That sounded wrong. You might edit that. So <laughs> uh, you know, no, I apologize. But, uh, you know, really, I mean, it's it's the energy that you uh, invest that you get back out, whether it's a relationship or a class or, or anything like that. So um, a little bit about me, I guess the um, best way to look at it is uh, I am Steve Baker. I'm the vice president of the Great Game of Business. We are the educational wing of SRC Holdings, which is a 100% employee-owned company in Springfield, Missouri, to about 2,000 people, about $650 million in sales. In my little division, all we do is teach other people how SRC, a remanufacturer of engines and engine components, how they run their business. And so this operating system that we call the Great Game of Business is uh, is pretty amazing. It's been around a long, long time, and it's implemented all over the world in different uh, industries. Um, but I get to spend my days uh, traveling and talking to groups and coaching companies and basically helping folks understand that if you understand business, you can improve not only the financial results of your business, but also the cultural uh, elements of your business because you're improving people. And then further, people will take it home. And you heard me saying this in the workshop. It's awesome because if people do better at work, they tend to do better at home and if they do better at home, they do better in their community. So uh, I spent a lot of years, Stefan. I mean, I've been here 14 years. All my previous adult life was around. I you know, worked with great little family-owned manufacturing companies, but all I did is sell shit nobody needed. <laughs> you know, it was consumer goods. <laughs> I had so much fun in the bath and body world for years and years. I mean, I worked with the biggest retailers in the world, created great stuff. And, um, but it still was something, you know, it's not anything anybody needed. And there's just, I mean, there's just building after building in every major city. 
Atlanta's got 14 of them. Dallas has a half a dozen, maybe more of buildings just filled to the rafters with stuff. And that's the markets, right? Where gift shops and uh, retailers go to, to go to market. And uh, man, coming here, all of a sudden it was like, no, people need this. This will change things. So um, I guess that's kind of a roundabout way to get to, you know, I, I'm not your normal business consultant. Um, am I allowed to use air quotes on a podcast? Okay, Absolutely. I am now. It's America. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, to me, business consultants are guys with MBAs and PhDs, <laughs> and they work in think tanks, and they come up with these great ideas. And here I stumble into an engine company where there's a thought leader, Jack Stack, who 37 years ago figured out that if if we're going to make a go at this company, everybody in the plant needs to understand how we make money and generate cash. So he created a business of business people. And I stumbled into it, as I said, only 14 years ago. And man, I wish I would have found it when I was 20, because this is the most, the single most powerful thing I have ever seen in transforming lives. I'm just being honest with you. The power of knowledge is absolutely unstoppable if you really trust people to bring their best to work every day. And and the way we do it is by giving them an opportunity to change what's happening in the business and give them a stake in the outcome. So I don't know. Does that give you a little bit of background? It, it does. So when you came over to Great Game of Business or SRC, you came over for Great Game of Business to work for them. It's not as though that you came over to our SRC as a salesperson. Oh, yeah. God, no, they wouldn't let me near the engines. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was... Uh, you know, as I said, I was, uh, you know, a marketing and branding guy, you know, it was like, uh, when, when you come out of school with an art degree and you're good with people, you get a job in sales and that evolved into, Hey, you're pretty good at this stuff. Um, so I would go to market and I would, you know, talk to the retailers, see what they needed. Uh, I would go to the, as I say, the, uh, the marketplaces, you know, the different places where folks were introducing new products. I see what was new. I'd go back and forth and we would literally design products that, that would appeal to folks and uh, bring them to retailers and then make deals and then manufacture the stuff. So that evolved from uh, art major to sales guy to marketing and branding creator. And uh, um, I eventually went out on my own and I started to do things. And I don't really tell people this much, but uh, in between my last official you know, job for someone else and introducing my own business of marketing and branding, um, I learned some things pretty quick and that is number one, I was amazing at marketing and branding and I was thrilled by the fact that someone would hand you a $10,000 check and go, Hey, we want you to help us. I'm like, where have this, where's this been all my life? You know, I've been working for a wage and I saw the vision of what an entrepreneur could be. And then the third thing I realized is I didn't know shit about running a business and, and it caught up with me pretty quick. I was like, gee, yikes, you're going to pay taxes and everything. And it was just very interesting, very much a learning process. And in that, um, as I said, this is not a, a story most people hear, but, you know, Rich and I met through, um, through our kid's school. And I was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm really good at this stuff. And he said, hey, we're kind of looking for somebody in that area, and, but we don't need a consultant. Would you consider this? And Joanne found out about it. She goes, yeah, he's very interested in it. So <laughs> you're like, hey, this is cool. You know, you can actually do something. And of course, you know, yes, I still use my creativity every single day. But what's amazing is what Jack and the team over here has taught me in these years and now I'm a, an authority officially on it, writing books and things like that, is that 
anyone can learn business. Anyone can. And, and that's proof because if I can, holy crap. I mean, the, the amazing thing is I've built more wealth in the last 14 years than my entire life before combined. And it's like, that's why I should have found this when I was 20, not just because of the wealth factor, but because think of what, how many more people we could touch and how many more kids we could inform and, and turn on to business and say, you know, profit's not evil and, and business isn't dirty. And there's just so many good things that we can do. And frankly, we believe small to mid-sized businesses are the backbone of the economy. We create the jobs. We do the true education. We give people the opportunities to, to grow and become their best selves. I might be on a big rant here. I'm sorry, but I, you know, when you and I talked personally, when we met at the, at the workshop, you know, I could tell you were, you know, one of those guys who could get that self-made is a really important thing in America. I think, you know, it's the idea of, do we have the tools? Do we teach people in school how to be self-made? We don't. So it's up to us, right? It's up to you and me and the listeners and we create the opportunities. So how far will you let them go? How far will you take them? Yeah, so so true, Steve. And you touched on something really profound there is you've helped create so much wealth over the years. Could you touch on that, what you mean? Is that, are you talking about yourself or are you talking yeah. about the, um, the influence that you've had on the other people at SRC, but also the people who come through Great Game of Business as well? Well, you, you pulled out a lot more of it. Um, you made me sound smarter than I am because you're right on all counts, right? So the, for, I'll start with SRC. Um, the way we always talk about it is, you know, a thousand bucks in your 401k back when we started in 83 would be worth 35 grand today. Not a bad return, but Warren Buffett, of course, would give you a, a much better return at about $400,000 on that thousand dollars in 83. But every thousand dollars, uh, in SRC in 83 is now worth 7.6 million. We outperformed the stock market by a, a factor of 218 times. I mean, it's just incredible. And our people are basically, most workers are blue collar here. So that's number one is incredible wealth, a lot of blue collar millionaires in Springfield, Missouri. That is one story. But all the companies that we've helped, there are so many wonderful stories that, um, if it's okay, I'll, I'll point people to greatgame.com. There are case study after case study that, we, that our all-stars have. These are people who really practice the great game and open book management at a high level. You can see the impact, not just financial, but uh, when I think of wealth, I, I kind of go beyond that. I say, can we think generationally instead of uh, just the short term? You know, what's the quick turn this quarter, this year? And uh, just some amazing things that folks have done in our community and I mean the open book community. Um, for me personally, I'm just trying to say, I, I don't think I'll disclose to you what my ESOP account is worth because we're employee owned, but I will tell you that I don't think I ever would have imagined this level of wealth generation was possible, especially in Springfield, Missouri. So the important thing is, is there's two levels of it. One is we have an opportunity here as an employee owned company to influence the value of our own accounts. Secondly, because of financial literacy, I've made completely different decisions at home, right? With how we manage the money that Joanne makes, uh, how we spend money, how, where we invest, these kinds of things. Uh, if you're, you know Dave Ramsey, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do too, you know, the personal finance guru uh, has made an absolute industry out of 
of being smart about money. And yet, really, great game of business, Dave Ramsey, all these great things that are out there that can teach people, we're a blip, man. We are a blip in a world of credit card commercials and uh, easy money and payday loans. And you know what I'm saying? The messages are so uh, noisy. There's just a lot of crazy static out there that tells our kids, if we're not careful, if we don't teach them, somebody else will. <laughs> and they're so going to teach them not the right way. Oh, damn straight, because debt <laughs> is the new slavery, baby. I mean, it is it is real. And uh, having been on both sides of it, I can tell you it ain't fun to try to make that transition. It's work. It's It's tough. It's a commitment. And so I've been teaching my kids about it as best I can. There's something you need to know, Stefan. I don't please guide me if I'm off topic too much, but what's really amazing to me about kids is they, they can only be ready when they're ready. So start young, right? Um, they will be singled out as being weird compared to their friends. How come you don't use a debit card? You know, how come you aren't using Venmo or whatever? And um, if they don't understand, you know, the basics of money, and this goes for employees too, how does money work? Let's use a Dave Ramsey quote, money flows from people who don't understand it to people who do. Mm -hmm. I want my kids to be the people who do. <laughs> and I want our employees to be the people who do. And they are. So anyway, I, I hope that wasn't too much. I get pretty emotional about this stuff. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not too much. And, and I love your passion for it. And we all need a passion. And when you find what that passion is, and let's say you are going to work, it doesn't feel as though that you're going to work every day. Absolutely. I would totally agree. And I'm hoping that Jack Stack doesn't hear this podcast because one of your, one of your questions to me was, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And I responded, I'd probably be doing this for free. And I mean that, <laughs> but don't tell anyone. <laughs> I still want to get paid. <laughs> We'll, we'll make sure that uh, you still get paid for sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that sounds good. But I am, I, I will tell you that I thought I was, you know, the, uh, when I was in the bath and body world, what was neat is the kids were little and they would, I would come home from work. I'd smell really great. Cause just being in that factory, you know, you smelled like the stuff you were making and it was really good stuff. And they'd hug my legs, you know, they'd say, daddy, you smell like work. And it was so amazing. And I thought I was on top of the world doing what I do today though all the other stuff, the good feelings that I created or any positive influence I had went down the drain or went up in smoke, you know, bath salts and candles and lotions. Now the impact that I have is so much better. I mean, I, I am fulfilled when I go home. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It can be challenging on the road, especially, but not many people I know get to go, Hey, how was your week at work? It was fantastic. It was, I met some amazing people and I learned some stuff and made an impact. So it's pretty cool, man. Well, being there about a week and a half ago was a, a great honor and opportunity for me to learn more about the great game of business and how to fold it into my business. So we're going to be talking about it today at our uh, weekly roundup meeting. And you mentioned in the pre-show that a key attribute that you associate your success to one is poverty. Another one is lifelong desire to learn. And yep. I was hoping that you could touch on both of those items. Yeah, I, um, I will. I, you know, it's probably not uh, appropriate for me to say poverty influenced a lot. And, it, you know, it's not that I grew up without anything. It's just 
I had a great childhood. Let's leave that back there and say I left home at 17 because I had to go be me and I had to go <laughs> see the world and I wanted to go to art school and I was just always creative and that seemed like the right thing to do. And when I say art school, I mean somewhere I could drink beer and hang out with friends and go camping and uh, use student loans for ski trips and stuff like that and learn some art if I had time. So uh, dead serious. But, you know, when you are on your own, I mean, my family's rule was you leave home and we love you. And I, I got a suitcase for graduation. They wanted you to get out of the nest and experience the world and go to school or work or whatever you're going to do. And that was valuable. But man, there's no safety net, you know, and so I went through my life savings in six months and uh, and I had gotten a job and everything. So I'm going to school, had a job and um, it, you know, when you work retail and go to school, you don't have any money. And so I ate very, I'm kind of reliving some of this because uh, two of my kids are out of college now and and one just started and, you know, the words ramen and turkey ham and things like this, you know, these weird artificial semi foods come up and I go, whoa, <laughs> took me back there, you know. And and what's crazy is, is that it kept me out of some trouble. You know, I mean, I, I was able to somebody asked me, how come you didn't get into and they listed some things like cocaine and heroin and all these other things. And and I'm like going now I didn't have the money for that, you know, so, it, you know, what kept me out of trouble and kind of on a path was I only had so much money. So I had a ton of fun for what I had. And looking back on it, I didn't miss anything. So the influencer was when I got money, I was careful with it. I didn't know really how to manage it or invest it or anything else. But, um, you know, I had a bike all through college um, until the very end. I didn't have a car till I think I was a senior. And um, and so riding a bike in the rain, the snow, I actually used to I'm in Springfield, Missouri in the 80s. We had winters where I could ski cross country ski to school. No kidding. that was crazy. Yeah. No car. What are you going to do? The bike wasn't too effective, you know? And, um, so what I'm getting at is, uh, the whole thing is I, I think that what it taught me was some frugality and an approach to life that, um, has served me well on the flip side. I'll tell you that, you know, coming from a place of not having any money, um, sometimes I think scarcity versus abundance, and I'm working on that still at my age. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but um, I wonder if some of my decisions have been throttled or governed by, you know, held back by this idea of will I run out of money? Will I, you know, am I averse to risk because of that? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, a yeah. thousand percent. I learned that from my grandfather and grandmother who were products of the depression. Right on. Yeah, exactly. You know, where you when you have grandparents that save the wax paper out of cereal boxes and stuff, you know, and foil from this and that, you kind of go, oh, now I get it. I didn't when I was a kid, but now I get it. You got to be there. It's hard to describe people. Um, a guy named uh, uh, Damon John, the guy that started FUBU, he used to speak a lot at the Inc. 5000 conference where I've been, um, I think I've been to like 15 different uh, Inc. events speaking. And uh uh, he spoke at a lot of them, and one of them was when he introduced his book. The book was called The Power of Broke, and I think that's probably a better way to describe what I meant was you get real creative when you have no options, and uh, and that's one of the things that, that I'll always carry with me as, as a badge of honor is to say, I know I can think my way out of almost anything, and I, and that comes from hardship. And did I do my kids a disservice by making their life pretty easy? I don't know. Still figuring that one out, Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you did your kids a great service. 
uh, by teaching them <laughs> every, all of these tools and skills and the, the philosophy that comes along with it as well. Um, and, and what you're talking about goes back to that great game of business is at SRC, you all teach everybody at the lowest level all the way to the highest level, the importance of, of how it, they have an influence in the success of the business and how it pays back to them. We do. Yeah, we sure do. It's, um, it's interesting. So the great game of business itself as a system, the idea is simply to teach people, hey, it's hard to make money. Here's how we make money and generate cash. Because if we don't do those two things, there's no business, right? That's the objective of any organization, I should say, not for profit, for profit, whatever. You've got to make money. You've got to generate cash. We teach people that it's okay to do that. And then we say, how do you connect to that? How does every decision you make, every action you take every day, how does that affect it? And when we give them that line of sight, what's really cool is people make better decisions. The more they know, the better they respond, the more creative they get. Then we offer them, you know, why do all this? We offer them a stake in the outcome. So we at SRC have short-term, mid-term, and long-term stake in the outcome. So short-term, last week we talked about uh, here at the workshop, uh, you know, you learned about mini games. So 90-day improvement programs that have self-funding rewards. And then we taught you about the, the bonus program that's annual, but paid out quarterly. And then the long term for us, it's employee ownership. I'm going to suggest to you that a very small percentage of people in the U.S. Uh, will ever share equity with their employees, nor does it make a huge difference to a 20 year old if they don't understand business anyway. What I am saying is you need to figure out to all the listeners is align your short term, midterm and long term rewards, whatever they are to the goals of the company. Because we often set up accidentally, we set up silos and, and teams and clicks in our businesses because we're rewarding people differently for different kinds of performance instead of saying, what if we built a great company? So every day at any SRC company, or at any great game company, we are challenging people to think about what is it, guys, that would build a great company? Not just uh, make great products and services, but what would it take to build something that will last and that's what's powerful is, holy cow, well, what does that mean? And I feel like I'm ranting again, Stefan, but you know, that I'll finish this thought and then I'll, I'll hand it back to you. This, this idea of building a great company, I never thought about that before I came to SRC. I was always like, hey, we've got another baby on the way. Hey, I just bought a house. Hey, we've got a car loan we've got to pay for. So I'd go to the boss. I say, how do I make more money? And they'd say, sell more. Well, if you live in Springfield, Missouri, and you're told to sell more, you get in your car and you drive to Bentonville, Arkansas, because who's the biggest retailer in the world? Walmart. Walmart, two hours away from here, headquarters, right? I spent a lot of years down there. Uh -huh. And who's the worst commercial partner you might want to have? Walmart. Yeah. So you see how my thing of, I need more, what do I do to get it? sell more led to a whole bunch of bad decisions, a lot of lost money, a lot of, you know, years of, of struggle trying to go, am I doing the right things? And working with large retailers all across North America, that's what I kept doing is I kept making deals that I thought were awesome, but because I had no visibility beyond margin, I, I thought I was kicking ass. And in fact, many of the owners of those companies that I still see today, I'll go back and say, hey, do you remember that deal that we had with Bed Bath & Beyond? They say, did you know we lost money on the, no, I didn't know we lost money because I didn't know. And, and so the, the whole thing comes down to if we can teach people how it is to make money, how difficult it is, 
um, and how we do it, how we generate cash, um, what they can do to affect that number and then share a piece with them. That's the magic right there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe that's too much. No, not at all. Have you ever heard the Vlasic pickle story with Walmart? The Vlasic pickle story. Was that where they went real big with a pickle jar or something? They went huge. I'm not sure I know. Tell me what. put it in Sam's Club and it was really cheap and it was less expensive than what you would pay for your standard jar on the grocery store shelf. They made money off the grocery store shelf ones, no money off of the Sam's Club model. And they were selling so many of the Sam's Club models that it overtook the sales and the profits uh, from the grocery store because people stopped buying the grocery store one because you could go to Sam's Didn't Club. need them. So many more for so much cheaper, so much less. And it put them, they essentially went into bankruptcy. They recovered from it. But like you were saying, just because you're making a sale doesn't mean that you're making the money to stay alive to be sustainable you got to pay your people yep yep exactly man i what a great story and a great illustration of how two things come together there business literacy and financial literacy mm-hmm. understanding your industry and the relationships and the customers and the marketplaces but also can we make money at this and is it sustainable and if they would have modeled that out they probably would have figured out the cannibalization yeah. of, of the uh, store sales i mean this is what everybody does right not well not everybody but many people that i've known from my past life right is uh, um Hey, we finally got into linens and things or something. Well, linens and things is out of business now. You know, I mean, it's like, holy crap, what happened? And, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, it's like, did we look at the marketplace? Did we really understand the customer? Um, and I'm just going to tell you that that isn't what we te- tend to teach people as a whole in the U.S. And what I love about SRC and, and again, companies that practice the great game is they go out of their way to help people get smarter. And the funny thing is, you know, last week we talked a little bit about it. Um, some people will come to us and they'll say, I'm worried about a few things. If I go open book, you know, and I'm quoting again here, uh, if I go open book, I'm worried they're going to find out how much I make. And I'm like, well, we don't share salary information. We, we're transparent about the numbers. So salaries and benefits are on a line, but we don't get into individual stuff. That's just this crazy. Uh, you know, it's, if you want to do it, great. It's not crazy, but it's, it's too far uh, for a lot of people. Second big thing is I'm worried that um, if I show them the numbers, they're going to want more. And the fact is everybody wants more already, right? I want more. You want more. Your employees want more. I hope your kids want more. You know, I want them to be ambitious. I want them to grow and I want them to understand what it really takes to get more. And the third big thing is You know, what if I train people up and make them smart and they leave? I'm like, what if they're stupid and they stay? I mean, it's not not a a, a good position to argue from, right? It's let's improve people because at the very least, you you help people become their best selves. What's wrong with that? Isn't that a better world? Don't you want them as neighbors? I do because a lot of my neighbors are not that zippy. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make sure your neighbors don't listen to this. They wouldn't listen to a podcast anyway. So now you know what I'm talking about. You know the people that you want to hang out with and the people that you just go, man, I don't know if I can help them. I'll stick with the people who want to be helped. There just you tell go. Them to have, a, have a great day and make, do the best you can. Um, and I'm have going a great right day. Direction. That's right. I'll be right back with Steve after this quick message from the show's sponsor. What's your passion? Do you know what it really means to give it your all? Well, 
the folks at Giver, this is their passion. It's what gets them out of bed every morning to chug a half gallon of coffee and eat a one pound burrito and give the rest of the day everything they just ate and more. Giver, to give it your all. Check out their selection of personalized branded kick-ass gloves and more at the jacksonholeconnection.com slash giver. G-I-V-E-R. My pick last year was the Old Faithful Top. And boy, do I love this one. You have not experienced comfort until you pulled one of these bad boys on. Now, go giver. You know, Steve, another thing that you've talked so much about in, in little snippets here, but you mentioned is your lifelong desire to learn. Where do you mm-hmm. feel that you, that that came about? Did you have somebody that influenced well, you in life? Oh, my dad. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, really both my parents, but my dad was uh, one of these guys who said, uh, any question I had, look it up. I'm like, I just need the answer. And so it was, you know, for us, we had a library in our house. We, we called it a library, you know, big wall of books and shelves and it, and it had a, you know, encyclopedias and a big dictionary and all kinds of other books that, that, uh, you might, you know, Jack London and all this kind of stuff. And it was look it up. So you'd always go look it up. And frankly, I kind of, I don't know, I, maybe I'm wired that way or something, but I just kept, you know, when I was little, I would keep reading, even though I looked up the thing, I'm going, Ooh, look a, a Jaguar. I'm going to read about him. And then pretty soon you're in the K's and the L's and, you know, you're just learning all this stuff. And, and school was probably, you know, okay, but, um, you know, eh, whatever. I think learning on your own, you tend to absorb more. That's my opinion. So going to the library was amazing to me in school. You know, the internet wasn't around yet. And so the college library was freaking amazing. Um, I, I didn't tell you this. I went one year in at a Jesuit school in Rockhurst in Kansas city. And what's interesting about them, their library had rare books, right? You could go in and go through the, 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 chained off, you know, section and with help, they would let you look at these ancient books, you know, cause they had, you know, from the order that was really neat. Um, but the bottom line is all through the years, I was always like, where can I learn more? Where can I learn more? And so when I started to be able to find out some of the gurus, you know, I remember, I think you asked me what the most influential book was. And obviously I, I should say the great game of business, but, um, <laughs> I'm thinking earlier where it's like, I knew I wanted to be better. I just didn't know how. And so I remember reading uh, First Things First as a younger man and Stephen Covey, um, you know, this is one of the seven habits, putting first things first. Well, he wrote this book and it was basically how to take your life and get it a little more organized. I'd call it time management nowadays. But at that time, I mean, I hadn't read anything that that taught me much about that. So that turned me on to the idea of what else did he write and who are the people that also wrote like him. And, and pretty soon I'm, I'm finding out the old and the new um, ran across some Zig Ziglar tapes. Like I'm talking cassette tapes, you know, and I had to, you know, go put them in my boom box because people had boom boxes <laughs> then. Right. And, and it was like roommates and people would look at you funny. Like, why would you listen to that stuff? And I, I got to tell you something, no matter who your favorite guru is, watch them because Zig Ziglar, as an example, I watched a special on uh, uh, Prime the other night uh, on him, and they went through some of his old stuff I haven't thought about in decades. I have seen his Wheel of Life in three or four other best-selling self-help books, and they don't attribute it to him. It's like, come on. Yeah, there's so much stuff like that. So when you say lifelong learner, I'm consuming everything I can. Then 
the internet comes along. It's like amazing. And you know, you can get almost anything you need. Um, I still go to the library because it's so unpopulated. The only people that are there are using public computers. So the books are free for me to look at. <laughs> then you got the, uh, I never owned a Kindle, but I did, uh, you know, I do have an iPad and I've had one for a long time. So reading eBooks became a real quick and easy thing. You know, it was amazing to me that you could download a book like that and have it right there. Then when Audible really became a big thing, this is before Amazon bought them. Um, I was one of those guys who signed up right away and I'm like, just give me as many books as you can. So now it's like my, my car is a classroom and, uh, uh, man, I'm never, I just, I don't watch TV. Um, other than, I'm sorry, I'm going to take that back. Cause I'm not that guy. I watch TV. Joanna and I watch TV using a DVR so we can, we basically watch what we want to watch. Commercials are zapped, all that stuff. And I went on a media diet about two years ago. I don't know if you've tried this yet. Um, I don't consume any media. If something happens in the world, Joanne tells me about it. And it's like this. She goes, I can't believe you don't know who's in the Super Bowl or something. You know, it's like, or did you hear about what happened in Israel? Or, you know, it's like whatever main events are happening. Uh, she carries all that stress. It's amazing. So all I do is I just, I keep reading books, listening to books. I go to conferences, right, to work. And then while, uh, you know, a lot of people fly in and fly out, I'm staying to consume, you know, what they're talking about. I want to know what's going on because this is where change happens. And I believe what you put in your head is how you, how you are, right? Uh, um, so I hope that wasn't too weird, but that's, that's how I, I've always wanted to be better. I still want to be better and I'm not, um, as young as I used to be, but man, I can't wait to find out what's next. In fact, just about the time I go, I think I've, I think I've read every book and listened to every book I want to listen to. Then I'll meet somebody or go to a conference and be exposed to a whole other community I never heard of. And they talk about, oh, the last one I went to, really not my style, but um, a client actually paid for me to come with him. And he introduced me to these people who are like all about market domination and, you know, really hardcore. It's very much about being your very best self, which really resonated with me. The reason I say it wasn't the whole place for me is that it came down to enriching one person, you, meaning you're going to go dominate this market. You need to go do these things. Here are some ideas to do the best you can in your thing. But the whole thing came down to, it was a bunch of entrepreneurs, like one guy, one gal. And what's amazing is the world is set up to enrich a very few people, correct? Yeah. So Jack Stack and his system is designed to enrich a whole bunch of people. And that's what I think the huge difference is for our operating system is you can talk about, um, all of, you know, our friends at scaling up, Vern Harnish is an old friend of ours, you know, gazelles and scaling up and you've got, uh, traction is very popular EOS. You've got, uh, four disciplines of execution, uh, with Franklin Covey. I mean, a lot of good systems out there, but typically it's not about have, helping everyone get better. It's usually about how do I grow this thing as fast as possible and flip it or whatever the outcome is to enrich a very few people at the top. And man, I'm telling you, Jack, you know, when he sold his shares to us, he's still our working CEO, but back in 08, he said, you know what, we'll go 100% employee owned. So he walked away from, I'm, I'm going to just guess, tens of millions of dollars that he could have gotten himself personally by selling his portion to private equity, or we could have taken it public, right, or sold to a competitor or whatever. But that shows you the guy's soul right there. It's like, let's enrich a whole bunch of people because he knows we'll be around in a hundred years because of, of this model and the idea of, you know what, 
this is your podcast. I'm not not even letting you talk. Is it? <laughs> Could I say one more thing? I think Please. is amazing. Yeah. So think about this. This guy, Jack Stack, is trying to build a hundred year company and spread his idea that has helped so many people spread it as far and wide as possible. So here's the thing. I'm in one of our strategic planning meetings, which we call high involvement planning. So you've got frontline people, you've got mid-level people, you've got everything. And uh, so I don't know anything about engines, but we have one meeting that consolidates everybody. So 10 different companies have to present to one another as if they're trying to get venture capital. So the engine companies are pitching to me, right, in this same audience, right, and I'm pitching to them, and we're pitching to the board. And the whole thing is one of the groups came up and said, look, what we're working on right now is, is long-term sustainability. And, um, and what we mean by that is we're in the internal combustion engine business. And in 35 more years, do you think there's going to be internal combustion? Hmm, it's a big question mark. We're in an industry we could be regulated out of business tomorrow. So it's wonderful to think that we've got not only you know blue-collar machinists and mechanics and engine builders and turbo rebuilders, whatever, and engineers and you know just really smart people thinking about what are we going to do not tomorrow, not next year, but in 35 years or 50 years, what is the technology we'll have to have? And it was just amazing to go home that night and tell Joanne about, she, she said kind of jokingly today, I want to get a Tesla. That looks cool. You know, and I'm like going, did you know that our energy grid can't even support if, if uh, this many more, I knew the number last week, but um, uh, they actually showed the stats. We can't support electric cars right now. We have to rework our grid in order to support electric vehicles. Is that nationally? I had no of idea. Of any volume. Nationally. Yeah. No, nobody knows that. So the funny thing is, is that my guys, my guys with grease in their fingernails know more about the electric car business than people who invest in Tesla. So I just think it's amazing. Anyway, back to you, Stefan. <laughs> well, I mean, that's very nice of you, Steve, but I'm the host of the podcast, but people tune into the podcast because they want to listen to the guests, not the host. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. I just, I'm telling you, man, you're right. I am passionate about it because it has literally changed my life. It is changing lives of everybody that I'm able to influence, but I'm just seeing people, you know, again, this is not just in the U S or Canada, but around the world who will, maybe they'll write Jack a letter or they'll come to our annual conference and they'll say something like, this is what we've been doing in, in Australia or South Africa or Singapore and they're using words like upliftment. I didn't even know that was a word. And these people in Africa are, are going out to villages and teaching folks, hey, did you know what? I have a company that sells safari goods um, you know, in these other African countries. You guys could make them, you know, bead, beaded elephants and different products. And, so, and they, these are the people running their own business now. It's just, it's wild. It's incredible. That's, I, I love this story. And what I want people to get a grasp of as well, that SRC is a manufacturing company. How many different, what, what are some other industries where you've seen great game of business be applied to? So people who are listening, if they are, you know, hairdressers or, you know, beauty salons, or let's say that they make candy, um, can this apply? How far can this go? Somebody's in the world of nonprofit. Yeah, love it. I, I love that you gave me three examples that I can tell a story from each, um, but I think you could name almost anything. Here's the important thing for everybody to remember is that while this idea of open book management, a uh, great game of business, you know, teaching people um, how this works, 
and and how they can be a part of it and how they can be rewarded for it. This started at a manuf- remanufacturing plant on the factory floor to survive. And the story is that in 83, International Harvester was dying and Jack and 12 other managers bought their little division in Springfield, Missouri to save 119 jobs. And when they went out to get financing, they realized they were looking at the wrong scorecard because all the bankers wanted to know was their financial ratios and their metrics and things like that. These guys only knew manufacturing. So they had to learn business the hard way. They finally got the loan and saved the jobs. And now that, you know, we went from 119 people to 2000. And um, like, I, I guess what I'm really trying to get at is that when you look at that manufacturing, there's just not that much left anymore. So um, over 85% of our clients are service oriented. Um, very few manufacturers, but the manufacturers who use it find it to be awesome. Um, the service folks, we just teach them how to apply it. The thing is, business isn't really much different when you think about the financials. The financials are universal, and, and I mean that across every language and, and culture and country. Uh, everybody uses the same financials. So what's interesting there is that um, you mentioned a hairdresser. So we've had spas and salons that are uh, that are uh, practitioners. And what's really fun there is I love the stories when, when a, an owner will say, you know, I have a bunch of people who are stylists and massage therapists and uh, colorists and haircutters and, you know, all these different things. And they've been running from numbers their whole lives. And here we're giving them a chance to learn about money. And now they're, you know, they're doing better. And they have so many great stories about how someone was, you know, having trouble getting to work because their car didn't work. And they gave them some extra personal finance uh, study on the side and, and some tutoring and that sort of thing and helped them get out of debt and just amazing stories like that. So there's your hairdresser story. What was one of the other ones you, you just said? Hmm. Not-for-profit. Yeah, not-for-profit. So there's a big one. So a while back, this is probably five or six years ago, um, one of our guys, Tim Stack, who is a general manager here at uh, SRC Electrical, but also one of Jack's sons, um, was on the board for Big Brothers Big Sisters here in, in the Ozarks. And for a couple of years, he was after Katie Davis, who was the CEO at the time, the executive director of Big Brothers Big Sisters. Like, you know, there's no way we're going to improve this place if we don't teach all of the people that work here what it is we do and how the financials work. And she's like, no, no, no. This is about the mission, not the money. The crazy part of the story, flash forward, uh, after a couple of years of hounding, um, the, this is, you know, the if you just draw a line downward, this is what the financial performance of the organization was doing. So if there's no money, there's no mission. And mm-hmm. so Katie, sort of in crisis, was like, well, let's try it. And so they started to implement and uh, we helped them with that, actually. And in one year, they turned that around from one of the worst chapters of Big Brothers Big Sisters to the number one in the country in a year. And people went from, you know, imagine the equivalent of what most people would call a social worker um, or someone who has a social mission uh, to people who also understood that no money, no mission, right? And that it was okay for us to figure out ways to make money. They they were so creative in the way they did things. You know, those boxes, uh, metal boxes that are in parking lots to collect clothing. Mm-hmm. You ever wonder where that clothing goes? Yeah. You think it's being given to people. Um, a lot of it is just sold by the pound. And mm. so Big Brothers Big Sisters had some boxes and they were like going, whoa, if we do this differently, and I can't explain the model to you, I, I'm not privy to all the insider stuff there. But the cool story here is that 
um, there was a young man working uh, for Katie at the time at Big Brothers Big Sisters who said, I heard that so-and-so, it was another organization, had some boxes and they were just tired of messing with it all the time and they're willing to sell them really cheap. And apparently they cost a few thousand bucks or something a piece. And he bought them for nothing, painted them purple, put the stickers on and had twice as many boxes as he had before another source of revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So it was just the business savvy that he went from a kid who, who was like, no, no, money's evil to, hey, more money, more kids are served. Today, Katie actually works with us. She heads up our social sector, uh, Great Game of Business Practice. So we're working with not-for-profits every single day that range from medicine to um, the, the, you know, the, the philanthropic organizations, um, all the way to uh, our own uh, government here in Greene County, Missouri was on the brink of bankruptcy. And, and in a year and a half, it took them a while to get people up and running. But uh, in a year and a half, they became a model and are now traveling around the country trying to teach other uh, governments who are, look, most counties are running out of money because it's just the way it is, right? Um, a lot of people moving to cities and and uh, the counties drained of that tax revenue and uh, and all that sort of thing. But also it's mismanaged very often. But these guys went from on the brink of bankruptcy to a triple A Moody's rating in a year and a half. I mean, these are unheard of stories and it's all not-for-profit stuff. So yeah, it's done in hospitals, universities. Um, the, the thing that wakes Jack Stack up every night, Stefan, is why doesn't everybody do this? Mm-hmm. So if you come up with an answer, I'd like to know. <laughs> If I come up with an answer, I will for sure let you know. Yeah. Good. I appreciate I tell that. You for me, um, I, a big concern of looking at the model was exactly what you said was sharing the financial information. And the more yeah. that I ponder on it, you're so right. People do want more. But if yep. I can explain to them and show them and share them and teach them the why and the how, the why they can or cannot have more and how to get more. It's a no, it's almost feels like a no brainer. What do I have to lose? The, exactly. You have nothing to lose. You remember last week we talked about uh, the average company in the United States makes six and a half cents on the dollar. And the average employee thinks they make 36 cents. The funny thing is I have not yet once met a company uh, where when you explain it to them and help them walk through it, that, that they don't go, oh, I didn't even think about it from the employee's perspective, but the employees already don't, I mean, they don't have any information. So they fill that vacuum with misinformation and, and rumors and gossip and assumptions. And frankly speaking, I think people will mostly be surprised and kind of shocked that, you know, if you make three to five to six, 10 cents on the dollar, it's like, why do you get up in the morning? It seems like a lot of work. Uh, you know, I mean, being exposed to what companies have to pay in taxes. <clears throat> if you listen to the media, you would assume that that any company you say that Stefan and the liquor store is just out to ravage Jackson Hole and then go to the next <laughs> town and ravage that one, you know, and just take over. Come on, man. You're providing a service, human fulfillment. And <laughs> I'm like, dude, keep going. Give, give me your tell me how I can become a wine connoisseur without going through sommelier school. I bet yours is the place I can go. Um, thank you. Yes. Come on in. We'll, we'll teach you a few things. We got a great crew. That's right. I told you I was a lifelong learner and a drinker. So combo those <laughs> things and it's the liquor store. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We, my goal is to replicate it for sure. 
or any business I I because I like what SRC has done is at a certain point, it was the people working on the floor deciding we can get into ABC industry, which complements what we do. And I feel that my team certainly has some of those ideas and, but they've got to learn the business side of it before we go out and start exploring new ideas. That's an incredibly important point. So I mentioned employee ownership before. You just talked about the idea of expanding and spinning out businesses. Oftentimes, owners, because they understand business or they, you know, they have a perspective, right? And, and they kind of guess that everybody will go along with everything and, and that they'll kind of get it as they go. The funny thing is, is I don't even recommend people start employee ownership until you teach people business. I would definitely not recommend that you spin out other business until the people who are going to run that business for you understand the business. The thing is, wouldn't it be nice if you could run multiple businesses without worrying about them all the time? The only way you're going to do that is by replicating yourself. And that means teaching people business. And you might have to even say, I mean, some of our listeners today, if I, if I could hear them, I would imagine that at least a third of them would say, I'm not even comfortable with the financials myself. Mm -hmm. How can I teach them? Well, let me tell you, from an art degree guy, you know, an art major from Springfield, Missouri, dude, if I can learn it, you can too. And I want you to teach everybody that you know as much as you can, except your competitors, of course. You want to keep them stupid. <laughs> well, most likely they're not going to be willing to take the chance or invest right. in their people and in their businesses in the same fashion. So let them go through the problems that they're going to go through because we'll be more successful and financially sound because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you say that, I, I, it makes me think of something that we see regularly. Sometimes people will say, you know, I'm going through the process, but I've got this one, one uh, employee, you know, they're, they're really pretty good, but man, they just don't want to do it. And what should I do? And I, 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 you know, I don't want to give you advice on who to hire and fire. I'm saying, let people self-select. Either, either opt in or opt out, because I've seen Jack do this. If somebody just doesn't fit the culture, he will literally help them find a job somewhere else, literally help them in any way he can to give them a soft landing, because we're going someplace. We are competitive. We are out to win, and uh, we are, we're going to win. This is a high-performance environment. Not everyone will like that. And so there will be some people who are hiding in the shadows. There will be some people who just aren't ready for it. What I'm saying is you got to pick and choose uh, based upon what people want. So I, I think I have, have at least been able to see this firsthand. I've seen people who just did, they really didn't fit, you know, they just didn't fit. And you know what I mean, guys, what I will say is that sometimes there's people who are, especially young folks or people who've been in the same job for a long time and weren't given any information. They just might not have the knowledge yet. Even if it's basic math skills, we literally are doing that right now at SRC. We're adding a basic math uh, course, a crash course to help some of the people that are coming in. We're growing so fast. We're taking almost anybody we can find, educating them because I'm telling you, they're coming to us without a lot of education sometimes. But uh, you don't know till you ask. And, and so I guess the way I'd end that comment right there would be to say if uh, – if you find somebody who's like, ah, this, open this is bullshit, you know, blah, 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 you know, let them do it. And then, you know, you're, you're the one person who doesn't want to win, who doesn't want to compete, who doesn't want to be a part of your culture, get them a job at your competitors. That's exactly where they need to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Have 
have the competitors yeah. numbers on speed dial. Exactly. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I love it. Steve, talking to you has been so inspiring. I, I feel energized every time I read a book from about great gaming business an article, but just hearing you speak is very energizing. Um, if there's one that. little nugget that you want to leave people with today, what would that be? The one nugget? Wow. The more you teach people, the more you will learn. I think that's what it is. I, I think that I, as a lifelong learner myself, when I think about how much I've held back because I thought knowledge was, was an asset I needed to retain, and I'm a nice guy. I love to teach people, but it was coming here that that's where I really saw it. Man, when you start to multiply yourself, you start to teach people what you know, and, and you just give it away. Oh, my gosh. People will give it back to you tenfold. It's amazing. And when to see people reach a next level is probably one of the most fulfilling things I've ever seen. So the more you teach, the more you learn. And, um, you know, my hope is that if, if this conversation resonates with folks, that uh, they'll check out uh, our new book, Get in the Game, uh, by Rich Armstrong and Steve Baker. That's uh, the 10 steps of implementation of the process or go to our website at greatgame.com and check out some case studies, you know, tons of free resources on the site. And uh, we just love to, you know, help you find out if it's right for you. And I can honestly say that you are very sincere as is the rest of the team there at Great Game of Business about what you just said. And I highly encourage people to go to the website it, and, and your website, give me the URL one more time. It's greatgame.com. And there's two books, Great Game of Business that Jack Stack wrote. And then there's Get in the Game that Rich and Steve wrote. And, uh, and there's actually two more. Okay. Uh, Jack wrote a book on employee ownership called Stake in the Outcome. Um, I would say that's probably your more advanced read if you're thinking about, you know, if you've already implemented and you're thinking about employee ownership. So, um I would look at Great Game of Business, the original book from 92. Um, you've got the uh, uh, Get in the Game, which just came out October 1st of uh, 2019. And then Jack has a new book called Change the Game, uh, which comes out January 1st, 2020. And I'm going to tell you, this is probably a great way to wrap up because I, I think this encapsulates everything we've talked about. The subtitle is the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's called Change the Game. And this is... Um, uh, I don't know, it's about 20 stories from different uh, types of things, like we just talked about. Uh, he tells the big brother's big sister story and the hospital and uh, technology and all this government education, all these other things of how people have implemented. Change the game. And the subtitle is Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and the Have-Nots. That's Jack's message. And probably the best thing for everybody to think about is how do we close that gap? Because mm -hmm. when we... When we get smarter, the gaps get smaller. That's, that's what's going to save this country. I love it. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate your time today. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Stefan. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you, and I look forward to uh, growing that friendship and uh, hope to see you in Jackson Hole sometime. Yeah, bring the family out here. We'll take some runs for sure. Sounds great, man. Awesome. Have a good day there in Springfield. Thanks for having me. See you, you Stefan. Bye-bye. To learn more about Steve and the great game of business, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 65. I do love hearing from my listeners and subscribers. So if you have feedback or suggestions, send an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. 
please remember to visit Giver.com, that's G-I-V-E-R.com, to see what is happening in their world. I could not create this podcast with the support of my wife, Laura, my editor, Michael Morey, my musical director, Luke Taylor, my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman, and my little dog, Carly, who's sitting over here chewing on the bone. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.